much of thankful the Lord knows who you are tonight. Let's clap our hands and worship the Lord together, shall we? Oh, hallelujah. Amen. 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 Thank you for being house of the Lord on this Wednesday night. Amen. I trust that you had a wonderful time in the Lord. I've heard nothing but good reports this past Sunday night. I know that our church always receives Brother Cox in a wonderful way. And I'm so, so thankful that you understand and understood my absence. Had a, two wonderful service services in Parsons, Tennessee. And so I thank you for understanding me not being here. Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35. The Lord began to speak to me this morning sometime. And so I'm going to start a sermon tonight. And this is going to be a, I don't know how many part sermon, but you're getting part one tonight. And we'll just see how far the Lord takes it. But I really believe that this is what our church needs to hear for the season that we are in right now. I'm thankful for everything the Lord has done. But I anticipate what the Lord will do. And I don't want to just feast off of yesterday's manna. I want the Lord to continually do a great work in our midst. Verse 1 says, In the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And an highway shall be there and a way. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those the wayfaring men, though fools shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Drawing my subject for this particular sermon and many that will follow thereafter, I want to preach on verse 8, the way of holiness. The way 
of holiness. Could you lift your hands to heaven as we ask the Lord to help us tonight? Father, I believe that you've given me a specific word for the season that we're in. And I pray the Holy Ghost, God, will begin to open our hearts and our minds. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say. God, we want to be drawn closer to you tonight. Let your word have free course and liberty. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we clap our hands and give God praise right now? Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated. The chapter that we read as our text today gives us tremendous insight as to what it's going to be like when the Lord returns. If I could have just a little more monitor, please. Undoubtedly, the prophet Isaiah had no idea as to what it would actually be like. As he wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit, and after that great day of vengeance, he tells them, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Upon the return of the Lord, that which was barren shall bring forth that which was dry shall no longer be parched. Words of strength and encouragement flow from this prophet's pen as God is trying to paint a picture of hope for all those that would believe upon his coming. He's trying to tell them, I know that you're going to go through some hard times. I know that you're going to get weary in well-doing. I realize that it's going to look like the enemy. It has the advantage for a season. But if you can just hold on, there's a reward that's coming. I want to pause tonight and remind you that it is getting evil and evil and evil. And the darkness is getting darker and darker. But you cannot let your mind wander away from the fact that there's still a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. I've come to remind you that we still are reaching forth for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Because Satan will try to persuade you and he'll try to mess with your mind. And he'll try to get you focused on what God hasn't done. And he'll try to get you fixated on everything that's happening in this world. But this is why that great writer of Hebrews said, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Because if you can keep your eyes on him, then you'll make it through every trial. You'll make it through every tribulation. You'll make it through every season of despair and everything that's going to test your faith. Evidently, Isaiah knew that people would be getting faint and men's heart failing them from fear, overwhelmed by what was happening around them. And so this is what verse 3 says. 
strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong and fear not. It sounds a lot like that message the Lord spoke through Moses when he was bringing Israel out of Egyptian bondage and got them to that place of the Red Sea where the enemy was coming behind them and they were starting to panic and they were starting to get fearful. It's the same words, fear not because your mind's gonna try to tell you that God's not for you and God's not with you and that the enemy's going to overtake you. But in that moment, your heart wants to give in. He said, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense. And he will come and save you. I just come to preach like it's Sunday night tonight. Is that all right? God knew the minds of his people in the last day would be the same as it was when they were coming out of Egyptian bondage. Because no matter what language they speak, what color they are, what continent they live on, people are people. We've all got that old carnal nature that tries to rise up and push thoughts of God out. Tries to push our faith out. And, and I, I, I can't you for sure where the church is going to be at in the last days but I can tell you this that it is going to get worse and worse and worse and so God's trying to to remind his people through this prophet that when they think I've forgotten them I haven't when they think I forsook them I didn't when they think I don't hear them you tell them I'm listening you tell them when I come back I'm coming back with a strong arm. The first time I came in a manger. The first time I came lowly. But the second time I'm coming. I'm coming as a king with a sword. I've come to execute judgment. This is what Paul tells us. Listen how Paul says comfort one another. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, I, when I was growing up and out here Comfort one another with these words. Those words terrified me. Terrified me. Because I'm going, well, God, I want to finish school. God, I want to do this. God, you know, the natural phases of life that you're sitting there going, God, just hold off. Just hold off. Because you, your, your flesh wants to go through all of that. And so those words don't bring comfort. But you know what I've realized in talking to elders who have lived through it? That they're ready. The older they get, the, red, the more ready they are to get to the other side. And so what Paul's trying to say is, uh, as the world gets darker and, and tribulation sets in. Now, we're not facing persecution. 
We're not, we're not martyrs for Christ. And so it doesn't mean something as much to us as if we were somewhere in a third world country having to have church underground for fear of our life. You tell them God's fixing to come back. That's the greatest words they're going to hear because it gets them out of the oppressiveness of this world and it puts them in the realm of glory that they've, we've got to get our eyes off of this world and realize there's another world we're trying to get to. There's a heaven that we're trying to reach to. And Paul says, comfort one another. He says, look up. Because your redemption draweth nigh. You know what he says? The word says, in the, in the day that the Lord cometh, men will be saying, Lord, come quickly. We're not saying that yet. We're saying, Lord, wait. But if it keeps going, we're going to be saying, Lord, we're ready. We're ready. Watch this. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. They won't have any reason to sorrow. They won't have any reason to grieve. They won't have any reason shall flee. Who is this? It's the ransomed. It's the redeemed. It's those that have been bought with the blood of Christ. It's those that have been washed and they have a white robe. It's those Gentiles that's been grafted into the vine. It's those that have been bathed in the blood and born of the Spirit of God. He's talking about the church. Now, I'm not a singer. But I started in my mind, I said, this, this has to be a song. I remember these few words. When the redeemed are gathered in. He says, I'm thinking of the rapture in our blessed home on high. When the redeemed are gathering in, I will raise the heavenly anthem in that city in the sky. When the redeemed are gathering in, washed like snow and free from all sin, how will we shout and how will we sing? Friend, I don't know about you, but I got a feeling when I get to that other side and we start singing a new song, there's going to be a dance like we've never had before. There's going to be a shout like we've never known before because that remnant of grace. Oh, we ought to clap our hands right now. We ought to give God praise. What's going to happen? What's going to happen when that day comes? Your mind can't comprehend it. Let me tell you, the first thing that's going to happen is that which isn't perfect will become perfect. He says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the deaf ear and the ears of the death shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart and the tongue of the dumb sing for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water in the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. So when God comes back, everything is going to return to God's original order. You know, 
sickness and disease and ailments and problems with your physical body was not in God's design. That came about when sin entered the picture and messed up the genetic makeup of humanity. And so when God comes back, the earth is going to begin to go back to what it was when God created it. Which means also that human body, or human, humans' bodies will return to how God originally designed their bodies to be like. Isaiah eleven six says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. It's painting us a portrait of what will be, which is so foreign to what is. Everything that was against each other will be restored. Flaws will be fixed. And, 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 and ailments will be cured. It's hard for us to imagine what this is going to be like because everything we know is through the lens of flaws. The essence of who we are is flawed. The very genetic makeup of humanity is full of strife. And so it's hard for us to imagine a world that is absent from strife. In fact, the writer referred to this as a mystery. A mystery is something that you can't figure out. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump of the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality then shall be brought to the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is thy sting oh grave where is thy victory the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law but thanks be to God which giveth us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ friend when God comes back this old flesh and blood that which is not perfect is going to put on that which is perfect when mortality will put on immortality and the last thing he conquered will be death clap your hands and act like you're happy to be saved who's going to make it got news for you a lot of people ain't going to heaven a lot of people ain't going to heaven. I don't care how good they are. I don't care how much money they gave. I don't care what church they went to. I don't care who their family is. It don't matter. They're not going to make it to heaven. Being in that pew or that chair doesn't make you saved. That'd be like me going and standing in that parking spot and saying I'm a Ford. It don't happen. Proximity. Being in the place doesn't make you saved. Here's who's going to make it. Who's not going to make it. The unclean shall not perish.
pass over it. But it shall be for those. Who's those? It's the redeemed. It's the remnant. God said, Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And God don't break covenants. And he said, here's going to be what has to happen if you're going to be in covenant with me. You've got to cut away the flesh. It's called circumcision. <coughs> so it fell upon Abraham. Not just for himself, but all of those descendants and those that would come after. There had to be something that was introduced to their carnal man that would begin to cut away at that flesh. And so it comes into the New Testament when it's no longer the cutting away of the physical flesh, but it's that circumcision of the heart. And there has to be somebody like a preacher that comes along with a scalpel and a sword and starts cutting away at that unclean flesh. Because if we're going to make it to heaven, we got to be clean. We can't be contaminated with the impurities of the world. Don't you get mad at a preacher that's just cutting away at the flesh. You ought to thank God for a preacher that says he loves me enough to help me be saved. God said, Abraham, I can't fellowship with uncleanness. I can't. I can't. I can't. What, what fellowship had light with darkness? I'm going to hit on this real quick just because I feel it. Because if this offends you, you're really not going to like the rest of these messages I'm fixing to preach. I might as well just get them all mad out of it, get it out of the way. We're living in a day where society is changing. Okay? You figured that out yet? This ain't Mayberry. Okay? Society's changing. And there are things that have been taught that have no biblical basis because they were a culture thing. And we can't say just because we've heard it that it's Bible. And we're living in a day when interracial marriage is very common. And I hate to blow your mind, but it's not a sin. Now, I got Bible. Everybody says, well, what fellowship hath light with darkness? Or be not unequally yoked. You're right. Keep reading. It's talking about believer and non-believer. It's not talking about skin color. You trace your family tree. Keep chasing. God's called me to preach the truth of the book. And an opinion of a man or something that's been dictated by culture is not what I have to preach. I preach the truth. Scripture. So don't die on heels that other people die. Let me tell you something. I'm fixing to blow your mind. A railroad track is four foot, eight and a half inches wide. 
Four foot eight and a half inches. That's an odd number, isn't it? Why couldn't they say, we'll just make it five foot wide? But they said four foot eight and a half inches wide. So you start tracking it down. It goes back to the wagon wheels. You know how wide wagon wheels are? Four foot eight and a half inches. They fall right in line with train tracks, old wagons, because the trails, those ruts, they, they laid in those ruts, so they traced it back to England. You know how wide they were, they were over there? Four foot, eight and a half inches. So they traced back. I'm, I'm, I'm summarizing a story because this is a long study that I read. You know why they're four foot, eight and a half inches over there, those ruts? goes all the way back to the Roman centurions when they made the first roads in England. Their chariots. You know how wide the chariots were? The, the, the sleds on the chariots? Four foot. Eight and a half inches. You want to know why? They were four foot and eight and a half inches? Because that was the width of two horses' rear ends that was put in the chariot. And so sometimes you've got to ask yourself, did this concept come from a horse's rear end? Because if it ain't Bible, I don't care who told you. If it ain't Bible, there still has to be a separation between clean and unclean. You find in the word of the Lord when, when God was leading Israel out to, by that cloud by day and that fire by night uh, that when it was time to separate that spirit of the Lord, that cloud went behind Israel between Israel and Egypt. It was denoting, it was demarking separation because there's got to be a separation from the church and from the world. We can't have a mixture of Egypt in the church and say that it's pleasing unto God. We got to have a separation. Psalm says, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. We've got to be a clean people. This is just the beginning. This whole message is just introduction to get us to where we're going. How are we going to get there? I'll tell you. And in highway shall be made there and away and it shall be called the way of holiness. The only way we're going to get to that day is by taking the way of holiness. Now we got to understand the Bible says there is only one way. Eternity with the Lord will have one way into it, not multidirectional. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father. There's one way. We are called by God. 
filled with the Spirit of God. He said, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy. If you're going to follow Jesus all the way to heaven, he's going to be by taking the way of holiness. You're not going to do this your own way. You've got to walk the way. Scripture says it's going to be a highway. That's what it says. We just read it. It's going to be a, be a highway. You ready for this? Holiness is never designed to bring you down. It always brings you up. It's not a low way. It's a highway. You'll rise above people. Holiness will cause you to rise above temptation. You'll rise above evil. You'll rise above naysayers. We've got too many people that are comfortable in low places. But holiness wants to bring you high. Holiness wants to get you closer to the Lord. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. I'm preaching from a pastor's heart. Because there's a lot of things that I sit on and I just let the Lord deal with them in my spirit. But we got to make certain that we maintain the way of holiness. And I'm not here to check off rules. I'm not preaching to you rules. I'm preaching to you truth. And once I give it, then it's up to you to do what you want. But I've watched people walk away from God all my life who determined they were going to do it their own way. Friend, my obligation is to the Lord. And I've come to start preaching it straighter than I've ever preached it before. You can like it or you can love it. But when I stand before the God, I want to say, God, I gave it to him as pure as I know how to do it from the book. And I, I can lay my head down at night. Stand with me right now. We've got to have holiness. Follow peace with all men and holiness. See, there's a lot of people growing by the numbers because they got rid of holiness. Got rid of holiness. Oh, they may believe right now that you still have to be baptized in Jesus' name and that you still have to have the Holy Ghost. But when you get rid of holiness, it ain't long before you start getting rid of other things. When you get rid of the visible, then you'll start getting rid of the invisible. And we've got to maintain the way of holiness. See, when you're in love with Jesus... Nothing is a drudgery when you're in love. With, now, now, if you're doing it because a preacher asked you to do it, then you're going to find all kind of reasons why it's not required. But if you're in love with Jesus, it doesn't matter what it is. Your relationship with God is the motivating factor. I'm not doing this because a preacher asked me to do it. I'm doing this because I'm walking the way of holiness. And I got my eyes on my Savior. And there is nothing I can do that could ever repay him for what he's given for me. And the grace and the love and the mercy that he has shown me when I couldn't show him the same love. When it's driven by relationship. Some people say, well, what? It's, it's not a big deal. Holiness isn't a big deal. It's, it's a little deal. 
me tell you a story about something so small. 1815, Napoleon was about to defeat Wellington at Waterloo. And in fact, he did defeat Wellington at Waterloo. And speaking to one of his generals, he remarked, we have no possibility of defeat. Napoleon had 72,000 men and 246 cannons. Wellington had 67,000 men and 156 guns. So charging headlong into their troops, Napoleon's men overtook Wellington, signaling what seemed like a sure victory had it not been for one little thing. You see, in those days when troops would overrun an opponent's cannon, they took headless nails and drove them down into the touch hole, making that cannon useless. Napoleon's troops asked him, where are the nails? They went into battle with guns, horses, swords, lances, and artillery artillery pieces, but no nails. And once his troops ran over the others... Those that remained of the enemy realized that their cannons were still functioning and they simply turned around and began firing towards the troops, the back of Napoleon's troops. And Napoleon watched as he was handed a bitter defeat because of something so small that he left out. And there's churches that have power They believe in the power of the Holy Ghost. They believe in speaking in tongues. They believe in the gifts of the Spirit. But you know what they've left out? Holiness. Because in their eyes, it's not a big deal. It's small. Because we equate God's power as God's approval. And it's not. It doesn't take anybody to have the Holy Ghost to cast out a devil. It doesn't take anybody to have the Holy Ghost to lay hands on the sick. You can go to crusades all over the world and if they believe in the name of Jesus, God says, I'm going to honor my name. I'm going to honor my word. And so people have become disillusioned because they think as long as we're still seeing stuff happen, then we're still all right with God. But there's little things. What's the Bible say? Little foxes are going to spoil the vines. And if we start letting up on little things here and little things there, it may not affect you as much, but I'm looking multi-generational. I'm looking down the road at some young people and maybe if the Lord tarries some some grandchildren that are no longer going to resemble what we believe is truth and holiness and righteousness. And so we got to sound the alarm and we got to believe it and preach it harder than we've ever preached it before with love and compassion from our hearts saying we are not apostolic by chance. We are apostolic by choice because this is the way of holiness. Oh, come on, musicians, come. Let's clap our hands unto the Lord right now. We ought to fill this place with worship and praise. This is the way. This is the way. 
This is the way. I'm not. When I preach on the way of holiness coming up, it's not going to be just outward. Lord's been dealing with me about inward. There's a lot of things involved on the way to holiness. The way of holiness. And I believe if we've got a heart that wants to be pleasing to God, then there's nothing in this book that's going to offend you. The Bible says, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Friend, if it's coming out of this book, there ought to be such a love and appreciation in our heart that God would send this word to us for such a time as this. If you want to walk that way of holiness, I want you to come and lift your hands toward heaven as they begin to sing.